0: Thank y'all so much. Uh, I, I told the first service that, uh, that Be Thou My Vision was, was a special song to me. And, and Marie Allen has been talking quite a bit about arranging her funeral. And, um, and so I want Be Thou My Vision to be in, in my funeral. And, and if I die first, she doesn't get it in her funeral. Uh, no, not really. But um, that's that's an incredible song, y'all. And and I also want to say that that last song, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only has direct bearing on the sermon today, and I, I won't bury the lead by telling you how. Um, it's just something that ministers to me personally. I am um, I am as much aware of my need of grace today as you know I probably ever am. And it's just great to think about the gospel. Let me um, let me pray and we will turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 16 as we wrap up the book. It's, um, it's been a long time coming, but it's been a great book, and it, it's a great ending. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be the men and women you want us to be. I, I pray that we would stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that we would understand what that means. I pray that we, you would give us uh, the, the courage and the strength and anything else that we need to honor you and I pray that this sermon would would bring conviction to our souls, that that you would change us, and and that we would look more like your Son Jesus, and that you would use us in in profound ways in this world, uh, that we would not blend in, that we would actually stand out. God, uh, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for His glory's sake. Amen. Four hundred eighty-seven probably sounds like a big number to you. It it, it sounds like A small number to me, 487, is the number of days that I have left uh, with my youngest daughter still living under my roof. Uh, Assuming that she moves out um, June 1st of 2024. She's a junior in high school now. She goes off to college and she'll probably never... That's all I got. <laughs> sometimes that number seems like it's shrinking at an incredible rate. And, and, and sometimes when Annie Kate isn't in a particularly talkative mood or a listenative mood, <laughs> I worry that I'm not getting the important things across to her. And, and, and that number, like I'm like, man, it's going quick. And, and it just feels like the clock is, is ticking at an incredible rate. Um, and and I, I literally, I think all the time that I, I gotta get the main things across to her. And, and she, she knows most of them, I, I get that. Um, there's probably still some things I want to impart, but it feels like the clock is ticking. It feels like you're running out of time and and you, you want to get it across. and And I honestly think that that's what it, Paul is sort of doing here. Like he he's he's wrapping this book up. He, he knows that he's running out of time. he said a lot of important things. But there are some things that he either needs to reiterate or, or bring that are new or, or kind of a summary conclusion to this book. And he thinks they're really important. And, and so I, I just want you to know that that's how we come into this passage. We're, we're going to skip verse 12. If, if you want to hear about Apollos later, come afterwards. I'd love to tell you what we can learn from Apollos because I think it's super cool. We just don't have time for it today. We're going to start with verses 13 and 14, okay? 13 and 14, Paul writes, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. What you need to understand about these two verses is simply this, it's, it's five imperatives. So it's, it's five commandments, okay? It, it's five commandments and it's imperatives for faithful living. The first one is be watchful. Be watchful, spiritually alert, or awake. The the Greek word is Gregorio. It's where we get the word Gregory. If if your name is Gregory, it comes from this. It's used 22 times in the Greek New Testament. So so basically the Bible in the New Testament, it's always saying, be on guard. Like don't, don't become listless in your faith. Like figure out how to maintain your passion for the gospel, for the glory of God. Like don't just fall into a rut guard your heart when you read the bible don't just read it as an exercise and check a box figure out a way fi- figure out a way to interact with the text such that it touches you and such that you care be watchful second one is stand firm in the faith now the word faith can can mean two different things in in the bible like a lot of times when it, it says faith it, it's talking about trust or belief like so you have to have faith you have to have trust or belief that that's not what is happening here this is not so much trusting or believing it's the truth that you're trusting or believing in okay so that that's why it says the faith so so the tenets of the gospel we, we are to be rooted in the gospel stand firm in the faith is to be rooted in the gospel in this world, that is going to try to pull you off in all sorts of directions. Like, you, there are going to be a million different things that become politically incorrect about the Christian faith, the timeless, historic Christian faith. And, and the world's going to say, I can't believe you still believe in that stuff. And Paul here is admonishing the church in Corinth way back when, and it applies to us today be rooted, stand firm, don't waver don't waver. It speaks to biblical authority. Do you believe the Bible? Do do you believe the Bible when the rest of the world is going to call you a fool for believing in the Bible? And it will. I I get that we live in the religious south. I I get there's still a lot of people who believe in, in Christianity, but I promise you the world increasingly is moving away from historic Christianity. And you're going to feel ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ unless you are committed to being rooted in the gospel. This speaks to biblical authority. Is scripture your authority? Let's, let's test that a little bit. The next commandment is act like men. Act like men. I'm going I'm to speak mostly at this point to men. I, I don't think... When we talk about this that that men is the opposite of women, but but I also want to just point something out in a world where gender distinctions are immediately labeled as sexist. Oh, you can't say that let's remember that God made humankind male and female, He made them distinct that's what scripture very clearly says y'all. I, I don't know how you can get out from under the truth of Genesis 1 and 2 where where God has made man and he has made woman and and man is not superior to woman nor is woman superior to man and and they are different and God says they are complementary to each other. That is his design, that is his glory. But but in order for us to be complementary there has to be distinctiveness between male and female. There, There just has to be. I think for sure there are some unhealthy cultural stereotypes that muddy the waters of this conversation. I get that. I I do not think that all men need to look or act like Bruce Willis or Dwayne The Rock Johnson or any of the other heroic bald guys out there. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying, it's too high a standard. All kidding aside, I do want to press into this. What does Paul actually mean when he says act like men? What's he actually driving at here? These are five imperatives for faithful living. One of them is like, act like a man. What does he mean? It's a word, it's a Greek word, and the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay, so the Septuagint is... The Old Testament translated to Greek. And this word's used a lot in the Old Testament of how a man is supposed to conduct himself on a battlefield. And, and so the idea here is when it says act like a man, it's, it's live courageously in the face of danger. That's what it means. Live courageously, live bravely in the face of danger. In, in this context, as Paul is wrapping up 1 Corinthians, as as we are starting the conclusion of this great book, what what it ultimately means, live courageously in the face of danger. Live a heroically holy life. That's what it means. Like men, stand up. Men, be different. That's what holy means, by the way. Holy does not mean perfect. People get that wrong all the time. Holy means set apart, distinct, set apart for noble purposes. God God is calling us to live courageously in the face of danger that that we might live heroic holy lives. This was really brought home to me this Friday. A woman who does not go to Grace Bible Church came into my office. I've known her for a, a lot of years. and She spent about an hour and a half intermittently weeping in my office because she thinks that Christian dads are absolutely caving to culture. That that they are claiming to be Christians but living unconvicted, hypocritical lives. And, and their parenting is, is much the same where, where they're like, look, we believe in this, but it's hard in this world, and if our kids want to do this and this and this, we're going to let them do it because, above all things, we want our kids to fit in. And she's like, what do I do? How, how do we do this? And then she sends her, her kids to, to high school, and, and the ministry leaders of the ministry that her kids are in are all too eager to sacrifice holiness on the altar of cool. They're all too eager to sacrifice holiness on the altar of being relevant. And I get that we all want to earn the right to be heard, and I don't disagree with that. I love that. But the reality is, we don't show the people we're ministering to Jesus by looking like the world. We just don't. And unless we're committed to living Holy lives, different lives, set apart for noble purpose lives. How do you expect that God will work through us to show this dark world the light and the love of Christ? That, that's, that's a fundamental precept in ministry. And, and this lady, hour and a half in, in exasperation, she she screams through tears: where are the men of God? Where are the men of God? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. On, on first interaction with that question, I thought, I wish she came to Grace Bible Church. Because we've got some of those here. We've got some people who are standing up. We've got some people who are, who are doing the work of ministry. We, we have people who are living heroic, holy lives. And, and I think she'd have more faith in, in God's sovereign purposes in this world, if, if she could see the body of Christ here. But my second thought is, we can do better. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be naive either. I don't want to think that, that everybody here is living unto the glory of God. Heroic, holy lives. I, I know that's not true. I, I, know it's, I, I know that we have room to grow. And so here's, here's what I want to ask you. And I think this in some ways applies to women, but, but I'm speaking to the men here. Men, are you living heroically? Are you so rooted in the gospel? Are you standing so firm in the faith that as to lead in the office or in the family or in the church or wherever it is? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Or are you just trying to get along? You're just trying to blend in Monday through Saturday. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. The next commandment is be strong. I think it's more of the same. Act like men and be strong, in Paul's mind, I think are very similar. Don't get run over, don't cave in. That's what be strong means. Stand your ground, keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight. And then the last commandment in this thing is let all that you do be done in love. That's verse 14. I'm so glad this is here. Let all that you do be done in love. Love does not diminish strength. There's this weird cultural notion that you're either going to be strong or you're going to be loving. And and the people who are loving are kind of weak. Look at Jesus, really strong, really loving. There is a way to blend these two. I don't think love diminishes strength. I think love refines it. I think love ensures that the hard edges of sinful strength might be cut away. Love keeps our firmness from becoming hardness. It keeps our strengths from becoming domineering in any sort of way, shape, or form. It keeps our good doctrine from becoming obstinate dogmatism. It it prevents smug self-righteousness, which is what the world thinks that strong Christians end up looking like. So I'm I'm so glad love is here. I think love keeps us on the road. I really, really do. Now look, I I also want to say this. The last three commandments, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. That's a lot, right? I mean, like, I'm like, I don't know that I've had enough coffee for this. Like, yeah, I got a lot to work on here. And, and you might be thinking that, and you might be like, I don't, I mean, this, Whoo! I'm trying, but here, you know, God is saying, do more. And the pastor seems to be saying, do more. And I, I'm actually not. Here's what you need to know about all three of those. That, that is, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. They're all passive voice verbs. And so this is not you try harder, this is you yield to God's enabling, this is what God wants to do in you. So this isn't just strive and strive and do better and do better and like all this pressure and it's not it. God wants this in you and he gives you power by the indwelling Holy Spirit that you might see this manifest through his strength. They're all passive verbs. Instead of be strong, the easiest one to translate is the word strong. It should maybe be be strengthened. Be strengthened. It's krataao in Greek. Who cares? <laughs> Here's what's important about kratiao. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. Never once is it ever used in the active voice so any, anytime you see be strong in the New Testament this isn't you being strong this isn't this isn't spiritually you lift the weights you get bulked up it's not what's going on it's you yield to God's enabling I saw that It's not all about lifting weights, Josh <laughs> it's not. That's not what's going on. Nothing wrong with living weights, Josh. It's just not what this is about. It's about yielding to God's enabling. God wants to give us strength. He wants us to stand firm in the faith. He wants us to act like men. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to love in all that we do. It is the work of the Lord. God enables us to act like loving, strong men. 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace of God. That is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6:10 Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is something that God does. It's not something that we can do. But we do have to yield. We do have to ask. Here's the big picture on verses 13 and 14. The world, this world wants effeminate wilting lilies. And then what happens is, and some of you have seen this, there's this like pendulum swing to the effeminization of society and these wilting lily men, Christian or non-Christian, and then there's been a pendulum swing over here, mostly on like social media and by influencers. I think you should all get off that stuff. I think it's a bunch of crap. But those guys who have swung over to the other side They're like sexist meatheads. And they're like, here's what a man does. A man abuses women. A man takes what he wants. And you're like, really, that's the best you've got? A feminine wilting lily or or the other side? Like some sort of Neanderthal? That's what the world wants. Here's what the world needs. The world needs heroically holy men. The world needs people who will stand firm in the faith. The world needs people, men and women by the way, who will live distinctively Christian lives because I promise you, the world desperately needs you to demonstrate the purposes of God, to demonstrate the power of God as we live for Him and for others and not for ourselves. That's what the world desperately needs. That's what God is calling us to in verses 13 and 14. Now let's look at verses 15 through 18. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Now here's what's interesting about this. The text says that we should give recognition to such people. What are we recognizing? What are we and, and who are such people, right? Because the text says, give recognition to such people. And, and so what are we actually? being asked to do? Well, the text actually told us. Who are such people? They are the people who devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, the word devoted is interesting. I looked it up. It's a Greek word tasso, and it means arranged or ordered. So they are the people who arranged themselves or ordered themselves, oriented themselves toward the service of the saints. They they arrange themselves that they might serve the saints, that they might ultimately equip the saints, that the saints might then serve other saints that we all might grow to maturity. That's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 15. What are we talking about here? You should know this. If I ask a question, the answer is either Jesus or disciple making. Okay? It's it's disciple making. To orient yourself toward the service of the saints. To, To arrange yourself that is disciple-making. This text is about disciple-making. They're the people worthy of our submission. Now, the word submission there is tasso. Remember, the first word was tasso. The second word is hupo-tasso. It's a play on words here. So, first of all, we recognize the people who are devoting themselves, arranging themselves, ordering themselves to the service of the saints. That's disciple-making. And those people who are doing that, they're the people worthy of our submission. It's what it means to be subject to. Hupotasso, submission. We're we're to yield to those people because they've proven themselves as disciple makers. Here's the best thing that you'll hear about Grace Bible Church today. Our elders are all proven disciple makers. They they are. Every every single one of them. Uh, We can talk about Brandon Allen. We can talk about Parker Dalton. We can go right down the list. They're all very intentional in their investment in other people and they are worthy of our submission now that's not the only qualification for an elder but that's a big one look at verse 18 last thing we'll see this is talking about Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus they refreshed my spirit as well as yours those three and people like them Refresh the spirit of those in the church, of those in ministry, if you're talking from Paul's perspective. Here's, here's what I think that means. Those people who are out making disciples, who, who are worthy of submitting to, th- those are the people who when you look at them, you can't help but be refreshed, encouraged. The is hard, but, but seeing other people doing it and and, and watching it, actually matter, watching them grow and and watching the people they're investing in grow, you're like, man, that is so fun. The the best application I can think of for me personally, three times a week when I walk into Island Grill on Bunker Hill, I, I see people like James Bento sitting down with a guy named Martine and they're opening the Word of God together and they're doing discipleship. And I see James Beaver in there, and he's investing in other people. And I see Bill Ernest. Sometimes Bill's with his grandkids, just loving on them. Sometimes he's with other guys, but but it's it's always intentional. Sometimes he's actually editing the curriculum that Daniel puts together. But he's always doing something. and, and, And here's the deal. We asked, we should recognize such people. What do we call such people? We call them disciple makers for sure. We also call them churchmen. Like people who have figured out that God established the church and he wants us to work and be part of the church because the church is his body. And it's glorious when it works right. And they're doing everything they can to make it work right. Disciple makers, churchmen, faithful Christians. That's what we're talking about. Let's wrap it up, 19 through 24. The churches of Asia, send your greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers, send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Kind of went dark. (laughs) Our Lord, come. Come the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He kind of brought it back. Like, for those who hate Lord, I hate them. And then he's like, but I love you. It's a real strange way to end a letter. I I entitled this from Kisses to Curses. Amen. What are the big points? And we're running out of time, so I'm going to go quickly. Verses 19 and 20 is all about family. That's what you need to know. It it is all about family. That's how Paul sees the church. He he talks about the brothers, the brothers and the sisters in this context. Like they're all sending their greetings, okay? And then he he goes on in the last part of verse 20 to say, greet one another with a kiss. And, And here's what's going on there, okay? If you meet someone who is way above your stature or rank back in those days, you would get down on your knees and you would, you would throw kisses. You wouldn't look up. You just, I'm not worthy. I give you reverence. It was bowing down. That's kind of what the Bible calls us to do before the living God. He's, he's higher than us. We, we don't go, God's so rad. He's my dad. And we, we actually bow down and we like, you are the greatest. Okay. If you meet someone who's a step above you, but not inapproachable, you go up to them and you kiss them on both cheeks. The lower person kisses the higher person on both cheeks. That's a sign of reverence. Like, hey, we're friends, but you're higher than me. Kiss, kiss, we're good. The only people you'd kiss on the mouth, and you're just going to have to be okay with this, is your brothers and sisters. (laughs) I get that that's hard. Here's the good news. It's a cultural commandment. That means our greeters aren't kissing anyone in the foyer as you leave today. I think that's good news for everyone. But ultimately, the big picture here, if you understand the context, verse 19 and 20, basically Paul is saying... Everyone loves you. Everyone loves you, and y'all need to love one another like family. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Y'all are all the same. There's no higher and lower. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are familial. Love each other as such. Love each other unconditionally. Love each other sacrificially. You don't just get to turn away when a brother or sister in Christ Is struggling because it's inconvenient for you. Like, press in, stand in the gap. It's what we're talking about here. Now, verses 21 through 24 is a super wide range of sentiments. Like, I love you. If you don't love Jesus, I hate you, but I love you. I don't have time to explain it. If if you want to talk about that, I, I honestly, I've got this theory on it. I think it's right. I'm not sure it's right. But I like it a lot. But I'm not going to waste your time here. You can come up afterwards. I, I need people to talk to me. I'm kind of lonely after services. So if you want to know about Apollos in verse 12, you got to talk to me. If you want to know about love, hate, love in verse 21 through 21, you got to come talk to me. Here's the conclusion for this sermon as I preached it. Read a story a long time ago about a little five or six year old boy and he sits down at his kitchen table and he's scribbling furiously. And I mean, he's working hard and his dad walks by and like he notices that the son who is normally distracted is, I mean, intent, right? And so he's walking by and he's like, hey buddy, what you doing? And And the kid looks up and he says, dad, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, the dad's got good theology, just like y'all do. The, the dad says, well, buddy, that's going to be a little bit hard because nobody really knows what God looks like. You know, trying to be nice, but let the kid down. And the kid sits there and he looks down at his paper and then he looks back up his dad and he says, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> that's what Paul's telling us. That's our job. Our lives should paint a picture of God for the world. That's what it means to glorify God, y'all. Like when you were saved and left here, so God didn't save you and whisk you up to heaven, he left you here to be his ambassadors. He left you here to demonstrate the distinctiveness of his will in a world that is moving away from it. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to paint a picture of God by your holiness so that the world might see and then hear the gospel? That's what Paul's calling us to. That's what he's calling the Corinthians to. He's certainly calling us to as well. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Help us all to redeem the time that you've given us on this earth that that we might glorify you. I I pray, God, that you would give us all the strength, all the love, all the courage to stand for your good purposes. I pray, God, that we would love people dogmatically. I I pray that we would live holy lives and that the world would see the holiness of our lives and, and they would say, there must be a God in heaven for this gospel is transformed these people Father I I pray that we would stand not on our own righteousness but on the righteousness that you gave us by the incredible sacrifice of your son but but Father I pray that we would also experience the transformation that you always intended by our salvation and I pray that we would delight we would have the most fun that you could that we could ever even imagine because we are living for your purposes. We are living for your glory. It's hard, but God, it is so good. I pray that you give us conviction to live like that, that you might be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.